anything too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. This is our final week of our solitude study. However, we will revisit this and revisit it and revisit it and revisit it. However, because solitude is one of the building blocks of what it takes to be a disciple of Jesus, cultivating intimacy with your maker and God is the lifeblood of resilience moving forward. Good churches, great programming, great community will not sustain you when your back is against the wall. It is your relationship with your God, your relationship in the secret place that will sustain you. And so what you are in the secret is more closely to what we are in reality. What we are on a stage or in public or in our serving is not truly a clear picture of who we are, but it is rather who we are in the secret place. And so we're trying to cultivate a place of comfort, a place of peace, a place of, of, uh, of delight in God's presence. And I spent so many of my years of childhood, adolescence, even adulthood, not viewing God's presence as a place that I would want to run when things weren't okay. It wasn't the place that I wanted to go when I had sinned. It wasn't the place that I wanted to go when I had a need. It was the last place I wanted to go because my vision of who God was actually made me feel unsettled to be in his presence as an imperfect being. So how can we find the words that King David said when he said that I have calmed and quieted my soul, the, the very core of his being, I am at peace. Like a weaned child, a child that's no longer looking for uh, nursing and sustenance and, and neediness, but rather just wanting to be with its mother for the mother's value. My soul is like that within me towards God. My soul is at ease in His presence, not merely my, my spirit, not, not my moral person, yes, I've been forgiven, but my physical frame, if I were to imagine and, and understand that God's presence is here right now, that, that the only thing holding His presence back from being seen is the limitations of my physical reality at this moment. That not only physically, morally, but spiritually, he is here and among, he is here. How? How does that allow me to function in a way where I can move beyond the fear into the place where I feel at home with his presence? My soul is at ease with God. Can you say that to me? That every bit of you, your, 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 your mind, your heart, your body is at peace with God. If you were to walk into this space, you would feel His gentleness. You would welcome His presence like a summer breeze. Or would it feel uncomfortable for you? And I ask not to, to, to allow 
condemnation or, or judgment or anything, but rather to say, if, there, if there's anything other than joy at his nearness, all that shows is that there are areas of my life that I feel that way, that, that I haven't brought into his presence. There's something within me that I'm not sure if he's going to be good news towards, or if it's going to be bad news if he were to interact with it. And so we're going to talk today about how do we cultivate internal stillness. A stillness that is born through salvation, the death of Christ that conquers the grave, and removes the legal obligation to pay back that debt that we incurred by our rebellion. How, how do we step into a life of peace with God? How do we quiet our soul? How, how do we walk into the presence of God knowing the history that we bring with us? things we've done, the things done to us, the things done in our presence. What do we do when we're interacting with God and, and we don't even know why, but we just feel ill at ease? Because you weren't created for that. You were created to actually be at home within the hands and arms of God. And that would be your eternity. Whether your current experience is that today or not, there will be a moment where there will be no other that you rather be. That heaven in itself, if it is just you and just your Father, it will be exceedingly more than you could ever think or imagine. So how do we find our place into that even now? How do we become comfortable in the presence of this unapproachable, perfect light even now. Well, we know that there are things within us that throughout time we're in the process of becoming more and more like more like Jesus as we invite him into more and more spaces of our life. And we've got some more uh, water here that's got some residue. This has been sitting for over 24 hours and it's still not clear. Some stuff in our life, it takes a while to settle. So, some things are so uh, uh, obsolete and so mysterious that, that they're, they're not going to just fall and settle in a moment everything becomes clear. And so God invites us not just to go, hey, I want to be good at having quiet time with God, one-on-one. -on -one. I'm going to block off all the extra noise. I'm going to quiet my mind. Once we get past the mind, we get into the spirit, the place where the, the Lord interacts with us. The place where divine and humanity come and converge. And he, he wants to interact with us, but even in that space, what do we do when our soul is troubled? When we feel that we are not at peace? Because the, the ill peace within our soul, it will spread within, within our lives. It will affect all, all of us. You will find that when, when you're in at ease within your spirit, it will affect the way you interact with other people. It will affect the way you interact with family members, uh, uh, co-workers. It will have all of the impacts that you are worried will have. And so we need to take it seriously. So if you look at this pond bar, right? Um, I'm going to try, try something today. Uh, I have this picture in my mind 
Uh, how many of you were to close your eyes, you can picture the most safe place that you had as a child. You broke your mom's face, where were you run? You got an F, where were you run? You're not feeling well, where were you run? And I had this image in my mind that I kept coming back to, and I use it within my time of meditation, and I think about God as my father. Um, I had a great dad, full of integrity, hard worker, business owner, but he, he just brought up with a generation that, that he weren't home very often. He worked really, really hard, and so his, his moments where he was home and kind of doing the nurturing thing were, were seldom, and I had this image in my mind when, when I think about God just like wrapping me up and caring for me. I had this image of me in middle school, and I loved Chicago Bulls, and I was too cool for school. I had these cool wireframe glasses and a bowl cut. But in this image, like, in my mind, I'm like, not feeling good. And we had this afghan that, that, that um, we had. It was the softest blanket in the house. And so I remember just being wrapped up in it, and I was, my dad had me just cradled in his arms. That was like in middle school, right? So this is too old, but still it felt like all, all is good. Oh, Jesus. So I asked my mom, I started sketching, you know, and, and I started, and I was just like, Mom, do you have this picture? Let's give you that picture. Do you have this picture? Because I keep, it keeps coming to my mind. I didn't realize that it was a, there's a picture behind it of this moment that just stood out in, in my mind as, as this moment of complete peace. That if I could go back or even imagine what it would feel like to be um, just taking care of that, that would be it. Do you guys have a picture in your mind of what yours would be? Is there a place, a person, a house, a tree house, a fort? See, when we start thinking through what God is trying to do in our lives, the residue of life, I mean, I don't even know when that picture was taken, but it was years and years ago. It, it leaves a mark. It, it made it more difficult for me to remember even what, what it looked like. And I kind of get this, this vague image of like, I think there was a couch and and maybe, the, maybe this is a real situation, maybe it's not. What was that in, in Lebanon or was that in, in Everett? I don't quite remember. And so it became fuzzy and foggy. But still, God was that word within. How many of you guys remember we are so close? Raise your hand. want to share? What was your safe place? Where would you go when you got in trouble or things weren't okay? Bedroom. Describe it to me. What? that if you were to sit and think about that, 
And I would ask you again tomorrow, tell me more about that space. Tell me more about what, what color the carpet was. Tell me more about what sheets were typically on the bed, what posters were on the wall. What were some of the things that, that you felt when you were in that space? What made it special? Because it's so difficult to push through all of these different luck of life to be able to try and remember what was really there. Was it just a moment? We can try, like, we can try, like, clear it off and, like, all right, man, I wish I could get this off so I could see what's, what's really behind this. Or, man, my, my memory's foggy. I don't quite, quite know what was really there, but it's, it's close, right? I'm sorry, you guys. We've got the rowdy crowd over here. You can try and walk it off. But there's just some things that just takes so much to remember to try and establish how. How do we find our way home when things are not okay? How do we discern between the remembrance of what is true and what is just put on by the, the, uh, the residual of being in the world having different things in principle upon us. God's trying to cultivate an awareness and a, a, uh, an understanding of those people that he is not the straw man that many have been brought up to believe that he is. An angry father ready to punish, frustrated with you, tired of you failing, irritated, ready to give up. God is trying to envision to us a, a different person altogether. If your vision of God looks so different than your vision of Jesus, we have a problem because he is the imprint of God. And so there is a consistency that Jesus came for the grace and truth, therefore there is a gentleness even to his straightforwardness. Today we're going to look at Peter. Because it's so difficult for us in this world to really keep our eyes clear about what is most important and what is truly eternal. It's way too easy for us to try and imagine things and get things wrong. And so turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to be looking at the uh, rise and fall of Peter. Alright, so if you are in the story, you kind of understand what's going on here in Matthew 16. Jesus and the disciples have been going through uh, the different areas, they've been doing miracles, and they've been doing signs. And finally, the Pharisees are like, hey, show us another sign. And Jesus is like, listen, if I show you another sign, you're not going to believe it, so I'm not going to give you another sign. The only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah, which is basically his death, raised in the tomb, and then being raised again. You, the disciples, is this. They leave there and they get into a boat, and Jesus says, Hey, beware of the Pharisees 
looking at 11, the teaching is trouble. And he's like, and then Seth's like, did you bring bread? He's talking about 11, did you bring bread? No, we forgot to bring bread. And Jesus over here is like, why are you talking about bread? We just made 4,000 people filled from 12. Like, did you not do the math? Like, I'm not talking about bread. There's something else going on here. And this is a consistent trend within disciples and among disciples today is we get focused on the here and now, the earthly things, the tangible things, and we miss the greater things that are going on. Why is that important? Because life and the kingdom do not consist of what we eat and what we drink, says Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Life is more than what you eat and what you drink. There is something more significant going on right now. Are we tuning into it or are we distracted? And so we pick up the story in um, verse 13 of 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, uh, who do people say that I think the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, other people say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, um, and, or one of the other prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus is like, well done. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter receives this understanding that is not based upon what he's seen before his eyes. The Father gives him a heavenly, godly understanding of who Jesus is that looks past the circumstances to see the true identity of Jesus. And Jesus is like, well done. And then he like, pats Peter on the back. Good job, buddy. And he tells Peter some, some really cool things, and we'll get to it later. But he's like, oh yeah, that's right, that's right. And he starts like, feeling really good about himself. And he's like, oh, Jesus is going to be the Messiah, the King, the one who's going to rule what we've been all waiting for. And verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, and scribes, and be killed. And on the third day, he raised. And Peter's like, what? Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. And you are not setting your mind on things of God or things of God. Such a pointed thing. Like Peter wanted what he thought was obviously what God wanted. Only he was filling in the gaps which actually made him miss what was actually taking place. Sometimes we want to see God do something and then we're like, oh, if God is going to answer my prayer, it's going to look like X, Y, and Z. And we get ahead of ourselves and we stop listening and we stop looking and we just go like, God, why aren't you doing it? And God's like, I'm doing something else over here. Notice this, the humanity of Jesus is on show here. What shows us that, that Jesus is, is human in this text? Like, literally, from Anybody? Get on with Satan. Why? 
So Peter, his mentality on the here and now is actually hindering Jesus. It's a stumbling block to Jesus. And Peter refers to, to, to Peter in the same way he referred to Satan in his temptations. Who Satan was trying to say, hey, if you really are the Son of God, if you really are the Son of God, well, I can give you the kingdom, the power, the glory, all of it. Just bow down to me. He's like, get behind me. Peter, you are speaking the language of temptation. Like, you, this I'm human. You are speaking into me something that I am trying to conflict and push against. My mind is intent on something different than what your mind is on. Get behind me, you're a hindrance to me. You've got to believe that Jesus looked around and he knew that Satan's offer for glory and power in the kingdoms was legitimate. Satan had the ability to give the glory, the power. He's the prince of the power of the earth. He has charge of this earth for a period of time. And Jesus wants his name to be sung by the nations. He wants people to see him in glory. He wants to see the heavens embrace him. He wants humanity to be able to go, oh, he is the Messiah, the one true God, Son of the Most High. He wants that. And Peter wanted it for him as well. But there is a false version of Jesus that was unwilling. The false version of Jesus that would force things at his own timing and agenda to accomplish what God wanted in his own way. To take the shortcut, to focus on the human practicality instead of allowing God to be
churches around, where people's heart is separated from their faith, their words are saying one thing, but their heart is doing something else. And what uh, solitude does is it forces us not merely to just say the right stuff, but it says, no, I want to allow my, my heart, mind, soul, and strength to, to offer my full self, my soul, to the living God. I want to be present to Jesus in a way that strips back the things that allow me to hide behind different strategies, different mentalities, and it just makes me vulnerable to the truth of who am I by myself, apart from title, apart from, from education, apart from family, apart from achievement, who am I as I am? Jesus says that that's your heart. Who you are, when you feel the need to run and hide—that's the who you are that you want. The vulnerability, the moments where life strips away the facade, the projection, and that moment how it's just you. Either Jesus is going to become this point of refuge, point of peace, point of hope, or he's going to be the thing that actually causes you to move away from him. And if that be the case, then our mentality is missing. Something is off in the vision that we have of who Jesus is. Because Jesus came not to take, but to give. And it cost him everything, and it took him determination and the willpower to focus on the things of heaven rather than the things of earth, to cultivate that intimacy with the Father, where he would constantly go off to be alone with the Father so that he can uh, know and be known by the Father and to reorient himself around what is truly eternal. And it's so hard for us. When we, um, when we get into spaces that cause us to forget who we are. I love how Jesus took his disciples onto the, the hilltop where he was transfigured and we're told that uh, Elijah and Moses show up in chapter 17. And behold, there were Peter and Moses and Elijah were talking to him. And Peter said, man, it's great for us to be here. So Peter was pruned in this solitude with Jesus. Solitude is not only by yourself, but with others who have the same purpose. Peter, James, and John were there, and they're viewing this revelation of seeing Jesus. He is, wow, right there. The two most powerful historical figures in the history of Israel. Those symbolizing the law and the prophets. And then the Father says, Listen to him. His voice becomes dominant in this moment, and they get this revelation in a space of clarity. And then they walk down the hill, and Jesus says, Listen, it is necessary that I suffer. The disciples ask him, Has Elijah, verse 11, 17, 11, Elijah does come, he says, he will restore all things, but I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did 
to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man did, uh, Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. If we are to listen to the words of Jesus, who says, listen, I know you have an image in your mind of what Messiah looks like, but I need you to know when the Father is telling me, listen to my words. It is necessary that I suffer at their hands. You have to invite something into your reality that conflicts with your own agenda. Because it's true. And it's life giving if you embrace it. Not only that, he says to Peter in the next stanza in the chapter 18, truly I say to you, unless you become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven, verse 4. What we have here is a treatment of Jesus himself and Peter who are navigating the tangible and the heavenly. And it's so tempting for them to be distracted that even Jesus, during his transfiguration, it says that Elijah and Moses are talking to him. Isn't that curious? What's fascinating is that in Luke chapter 9, we're actually going to look at a nod at what they are actually saying. And Luke 9 tells us that they are speaking to Jesus about what was to come, which is his. Uh, do you have that reference? Luke 9? Can't flip it. And behold, two men were talking, same account, different gospel, with them, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory, and they spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Interestingly enough, two things that God wants to speak to you in solitude. So there is the challenge, right? Get rid of the externals, quiet internals, so that you can be in the quiet with God, so that He can speak to you your identity and be called. Who are you? And what are you supposed to do with your The two most essential things to our existence. And the caution to us today is let us not be as Peter who has our minds set on the things of the earth to the point that we are stuck at the surface level and never get into the clear with God and allow Him to speak about who you are. The world of anxiety, the world of tension, the world of worry, the world of uh, shallow living is not what you've been called to. You've been called to living in the depths of God. Where we can bring to God everything we have. Where we can speak to you about your identity. Where we can bring to Him the, the, the reality of how you view the world and allow it to refine it because that's the other thing he does in solitude is he speaks to us refining words. Do you want to cultivate the ability to hear the 
voice of your mind. When, when you're overwhelmed by guilt, his voice is gentle and soft and sweet as when a child come with Do you want to be able to identify his, his acceptance that says there's nothing you can do that will allow you to fall out of my love? In the face of the voice of the accuser who says,
It's another thing to, to believe that somebody is trustworthy. It's another thing to, to know what it is to, to believe that that chair can hold you, but it's a completely different knowledge to sit in the chair, to not just know your spouse, but they love your spouse. To not just believe that somebody is trustworthy, but to give them the keys to your favorite car. That's a spiritual and this is what God invites us into. Not this plastic, two-dimensional, I believe it, it's all good. No, he wants your soul. He wants the guts of us to be interacted with Him. He wants us to place ourselves, our fears, our hopes, our dreams, and allow Him to interact with them. And He invites us to do this, but this takes time. Longer than this takes. It takes time for you to begin to trust that God is actually going to us things in your life. And so there may be spaces in your life today where you're like, I got emptiness, I got pain, I regret, and don't fear from the side these holes in my soul and God's like, yeah, just, if you just don't promise the experience and the love in those places of pain, it is the difference between life after death and living in the tomb. So God, His embrace is for our good. is for our character development. He desires to see our identity form, just like He said, you are Peter, Petrus, rock. He speaks identity and purpose. You are rock. Pick up your cross and follow me. Some of the death that I need to experience in my life and you need to experience in your life is not just saying, I can pick up my cross and, and I follow Jesus. What does that mean? Does that mean someday maybe I'll die for my faith? Well, I think that's the function of life that many of us carry. To carry your cross, like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll die if I have to. No. Pick up your cross in this context. Jesus is saying, hey, Peter, you are, you are hungering for the world of man. You want esteem. You want security. You want this world in front of you. And he's like, die to that world. Sever the ties and instead anchor yourself to the things of the kingdom so that you may not lose that which you never truly have. If you give it to gain that which I can only give. You see, taking the cross is saying, listen, I am going to choose to live my life According to the economy of eternity, not the economy of this transient time. I want to live my life with eternity in mind, not this life in mind. I want to orient myself in a way that, that makes God my home. You will never stop loving this world until you find a greater love. You will never stop loving your comforts, your convenience, your ease, your power, your authority, the things of earth, the things of man. You will never love Jesus more than those things until you allow yourself to experience his love in place of those things. See a person thirsting to death drinking the same water? They'll die believing that they're not thirsty. But they need spring water. 
So let's take this invitation Jesus says, okay, solitude is not just a thing that's nice. It's essential. It's essential that we pull off the trail, that we turn off the things in this world, that we quiet the, the, the world of man and we allow our mentality or our minds to sink into our hearts. We allow ourselves to interact with what's really going on in here. And when we, when we stifle ourselves, when we, when we find ourselves giving God lip service, where we're just here in body, but not in soul, we see God is seeking and inviting you to find your home again. And I want to just encourage that the pursuit of God is worth it. Because apart from a deep relationship with God, the Christian life just doesn't make much sense to be honest. Because He is the delight of life.
if we go all through this last, this last month, as we not look at him painting, not get distracted, we can't get excused. Who all has been practicing, practicing solitude for these last four years? Raise your hand. Okay. For those of you that have, and those that haven't, it's still not too late, okay? Um, but for those that have, what have you done? How have you started? Give me your step-by-step, -step, what have you done? I'll start, okay? For me, I start in the morning. I'm up at 4 o'clock. I've mentioned this in my in our first sermon. I'm at the 4. Everyone else, for the most part, is asleep. Except for him. Um, and for me, I will begin by listening to scripture, because it's something new that I've been doing this year. Rather than reading it, I'm trying to listen to it. And then once I'm done with my portion of scripture, I will sit, hoping to have a prayer of, Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Jesus, I want to hear from you. Lord, speak. And I'll just sit. And I will wait. Now, as thoughts begin to come into my mind, if there are things like, you know, the distracting kind of thoughts, or the things I need to do today, I'll push those aside. I'll continue to resign myself. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. How many times? There are times where he rolls me. Like this week. We, as a family, have been really struggling. I'm going to just be completely transparent and honest with you guys. We've been struggling with our firstborn. With attitude and temperament. And she's been developing this OCD complex of always needing to wash her hands. Where she's now just cracks and wounds on her hands from washing her hands so much. And then this week, Holy Spirit just revealed to me, like, you're kind of a cause for that. I had said some things to her just as we were playing, and it stuck, and then she compulsively started washing her hands. And so for me, I'm beginning to work on that personally, of watching what I say to my daughter so I don't negatively affect her. So for you, the head of the day what have you done? What's been your practical day-to-day -day in your salty time? Kathy? Just because I'm organized my brain. Um, I have a timer. I mean, I have a thing on my phone that says this is the time I'm going to do this. I have a place that I go in my house. It's the same place every time because I live outside that luxury. Um, and then I put a timer on because I'm thinking you can sit here for 10 minutes and not do something. Um, and I just quiet myself. I say, what do you want to say? What do you want me to hear? And it actually has been um, very, very one of the things that we brought up that I kind of sensed he was going to. Because like, I thought you did something. Um, but it has directed me into some places for healing that um, I'm just starting, that um, I think it's going to take some time, but you don't know that if you just keep going every day. And so, solitude has been just like you. One of the things I've learned over the last year, probably, in my is God's desire for me 
guard my heart and know my heart. Ultimately, God wants my heart. And I think the time of solitude that I've had, it's been early in the morning. It's when I, I, I do it. It's, it I, I get pretty excited about waking up in the morning and just getting out there. Sometimes it's four, sometimes it's five, sometimes it's five thirty. But it, he spoke to me in a way that really allowed me to check my heart before him. In all different walks of my life, like what are my motivations? What is it that I, you know, what is it that I really want? Which is a really hard question for me. And to really get to know my heart before God has been transforming, I think. It's, he wants my heart, and yet, and everything flows from my heart. And so, those, for me, that's been a really tough thing. In all the years, like, you just live your life, right? You just do the things that you want, you, you, you feel called to do, but do we really check in with our heart? It's it's been really a insightful thing to kind of take everything and measure my heart against where it's at and where God would call me uh, to with it. And so that's been really important. Anyone else?
Kathy and myself, probably David, will be over there leading us in prayer. But give yourself right with Jesus before you take the bread, before you take the cup. That's a symbol and remembrance of what it is that he's done for us. His life, his death, his resurrection is the thing that we all absolutely are thankful for. We would not be here today if it weren't for that. Father, thank you. Thank you that we desire to speak to us. We desire to know us deeply and deeply. That you have a calling for each and every person here. Some they may be a wonder to why you don't have something that you want them to do with us. You have called each and every person here for a purpose. Unique and beautiful to each one. For those that may think that they're too late in life to have a calling from the Lord, I pray that you just push that by. Thank you. 